I'm Amanda. I'm Jesse. In this podcast, we talk about the joys of motherhood as well as the experiences that have altered us along the way. We've created a safe space to talk about the hard and unconventional alongside the beauty, and we want you to feel confident in the decisions that you make as a mother. Welcome to the Motherhood Collective Co. Let's talk. Hi, welcome back to the Motherhood Collective Co. Jessie is not with me this week, but it is not because she's not ready to be back. (laughs) Just let me catch you up on life for the Johnsons. Um, We had Thanksgiving and it was a lot of fun. My sister-in-law and her whole family flew in from Hawaii um, and surprised us. And it was like the best because we haven't seen them in so long since they've moved there. But everybody got sick, literally Literally, everyone had a turn with some stomach bug besides my little family unit, unit, which I'm really grateful for. But then there was also like a couple of toddlers that had a cough. I thought they were over it and um, had them over at my house. We did like Lily's dedication, her blessing. It's a baby blessing. It's kind of like a dedication. Um, we did that, had people over, and I guess there was still, <laughs> still some contagious crap. Um, being thrown around because Lily got sick. So uh, it was awful. I never, Noah was never sick. Um, and I don't, th- I think his first cold, he was like 18 months or two years because like when he was six months, Lily's almost six months. When he was six months, COVID hit and like nobody left the house if they even had a cough, right? Everybody <laughs> stayed away from everybody. And um, I don't know. I just never had to deal with it. So watching Lily be sick this past week, she had, um, it was like a cough. It started out, it was really scary with like this barking cough. Um, and I thought she was getting croup and I was really nervous. Next day it turned productive. Um, she had a 101 degree rectal temperature, which rectal temperature normal for an infant is like 99, 99.4. So it was a very low grade fever, um, but for like three days. And I called her pediatrician because I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, is this normal? Is this going to be okay? Because I don't know, you see all those really scary Facebook posts about RSV and baby babies going into the hospital. And like, I just, oh, it is so hard watching your babies be sick. Anyway, she's fine now. She still has like some mucus and stuff, but obviously we are keeping Ledger and Jesse away until she's totally cleared up because it's just not worth it. You guys, it is just not worth it. Skip the family event. If somebody in the family has had a, a cold anytime in the last three days. I think they're like contagious three days after they stop showing symptoms. So just stay away from people. I don't I don't know how, I've, I have two summer babies. I do not know how you moms do it that have winter infants. It is terrifying. I hate, I, I don't know. Anyways, I'm gonna, <laughs> we're doing a Q&A episode today. And if you're listening and you don't know how um, we're submitting questions or how people are submitting questions, I do a Q&A box on Instagram. And um, you can ask anything. There's not like a theme or a topic. Just ask anything you want. If you're not on Instagram for whatever reason, then you can always email us a question and I'll put it in the next Q&A episode. The email is team at themotherhoodcollectiveco.com. So you are more than welcome to ask questions via email if you don't have Instagram. But if you do have Instagram, make sure you're following us because we do a lot of interaction and um, things like Q&A boxes uh, on Instagram. And then we also post like a lot of information on Instagram. I share a lot of reels just of like the 
um, the YouTube video. If you're, uh, if you watch YouTube video, you'll see these clips, same as the podcast, it's the podcast audio, um, cause it's easy. And right now with Jesse and I both having infants and you know, it's just crazy sharing the podcast is the easiest, but we also get on our stories and like answer questions and do community chats, which are kind of like become my favorite thing every week is to do a community chat. And then, um, we share valuable stuff there too. So make sure you're following us on Instagram. So I'm going to jump right into it. I chose this question first because it's kind of stemming, uh, you know, it's about baby being sick. So tips for baby illnesses, fever, vomit, raspy cough, etc. <sighs> Babies get sick and it's okay. <laughs> Every time your baby gets sick, they produce new antibodies and um, they'll never catch that particular virus again. I mean, you know, the virus mutates next year, they're going to get some different form of it, but they'll be able to fight it easier and better every single time it's introduced to them. And there's a lot of health benefits for your baby becoming ill and fighting off the sickness. So like, I've had a lot of mom guilt this past week because I feel like, oh, I shouldn't have invited people over to my house. I knew that they had been sick, but like, I don't know. Don't be guilty. Don't feel guilty. It happens and they will be okay. As long as your child is like a normally healthy child, has a good diet, they're not like loaded with fast food and sugar, which if you're listening to this podcast, your baby's probably not loaded up with fast food and sugar Um, because I feel like Jesse and I attract, you know, a certain type of person. (laughs) Um, But let's talk about tips to get babies through it because I've got two kids. We've done this a lot. I'm also a chiropractor. We do things very holistically in this household. I do want to say, um, we do keep actual medicine in our medicine cabinet. So we keep the more natural version of Tylenol in our medicine cabinet. It's called Genexa. They have Genexa for infants and kids, Genexa for, um, or sorry, Genexa for infants, Genexa for kids, and then Genexa for adults as, uh, as well. And it's a pain reliever, fever reducer. Never had to use them on my children. Um, I have used one on a migraine myself because there's nothing worse than having a headache and still having to be a mom. <laughs> um, but like I said, I think those things are important to keep in case of emergency. Your baby expressing a natural healthy response to a virus or bacteria, as in like fever, coughing, mucus, those things in my book are not a, an emergency. That's a healthy response to being introduced to a virus. Um, So I just wanted to preface that. I do have that in case of emergencies. And when would I use it? Like if my child was in pain, if Noah was telling me he was in a lot of pain and I needed to get him somewhere and pain reliever was needed, or if his fever got above 104 degrees. 104 seems really high, um, but fevers up to 104 degrees are 100% normal. I even called my pediatrician this week because I'm like, I've never had an infant. And I love my pediatrician. Jesse and I use um, the same pediatrician. She's super great. She is very holistic. She definitely trusts like mom's intuition on things. Um, doesn't give pushback when I want to do things naturally. I love her. Totally respect her opinion. So when Lily was on day two and a half of her fever, um, I called the office. I'm like, hey, I just want to let you know what's going on with Lily. And is there something I should be doing? Like, should I be worried that this fever is still here? Um, and even my pediatrician said, <laughs> like, no, don't do anything. Do it, or Keep doing everything you're doing. A fever up to 104 is totally normal. So if a fever would exceed that, I would give pain or fever reducer and then get to the hospital. But I've never, I've never had that happen. So um, if your baby has like a cold, um, there are a few things you can do. So 
keeping a humidifier. Now, if you're using a humidifier, it is very important you're not filling it with tap water or any like water that has minerals in it because those minerals can feed bacteria and you could just be spewing things into the air that you don't want to be breathing in. Use it a cool mist humidifier, um, but use distilled water only. Go to the grocery store, buy a few jugs of distilled water. Um, I have in my pantry at all times three gallon jugs of distilled water um, because I use it for my vacuum cleaner or my my wet vac. I use it for um, the humidifier or like things that I, I just need really clean, like my steam cleaner. So distilled water only. Um, you can use, if your baby is some, for some, um, homeopathic remedies, four months old and over, most of them are six. Lily is close enough to six months that we have been using, um, oh gosh, what is it? I think it's organic bliss cough and mucus. The important thing is here when you're trying to do, if your baby has a cough and the cough makes you uncomfortable, (laughs) you just need to calm down. Don't be giving like mucus and cough medicine to any anybody that's sick because what happens is your body will start to produce mucus to trap a viral infection it traps a virus um, you cough the mucus up it usually goes into your digestive system where it is killed by stomach acid so if you're giving a cough suppressant or like an anti-mucus whatever like mucinex all you're doing is prolonging the virus in your body um, or in your child's body. So there are homeopathic remedies um, for cough and mucus. Like I, I said, I think I've been giving Lily the brand Organic Bliss that um, it literally it will say on the bottle what it does and it will say helps baby to clear mucus. Um, and I'm, I'm forgetting what actually, the, the homeopathic remedies, like the names are not easy to say. So I don't know them off the top of my head, like the actual ingredients inside of it. Um, but find a homeopathic remedy that will help your baby, one, clear the mucus, two, that has little to no, no added sugar is um, probably your best bet. But some of them have like a little bit of added sugar so that it makes it more palatable. That's okay. It's not the end of the world. Um Another thing that will help with that is having like a good aspirator. I don't love, um, I don't know, like those ones you stick up their nose and suck with your mouth by Frida Baby because it can do, I don't know, if it touches like the inside, like their septum, that hurts. So we have the electric Frida Baby. There are like a bunch of little electric aspirators that you can get. Um, on Amazon. So using one of those with a good saline spray, Frida Baby saline spray is literally just salt and water. Um, So there's no other additives in there. Uh, I think there's one like Little Remedies has one that's just a drop if you don't want to do the spray because the spray is like a little, (laughs) maybe your baby doesn't like that. Um, So using drops to help them clear the mucus because there's just nothing worse than having your sinuses filled with snot. And then also like giving your baby lots of showers. So we have this, we have a gigantic shower and it's very easy to build steam in. It's got two shower heads and a glass door and the tile all the way up to the ceiling. So we've been doing a lot of like getting baby or Lily in her little baby bliss um, bath, like you just sit in it and sticking her on the side of the shower that's not on while I take a really hot shower on the other side and just lots of steam to kind of help her lungs clear that mucus. The other thing um, that is really recommended you do is like get baby out in cold air, get them dressed nice and warm. And when it's really cold outside, it's really easy right now because it's winter. And you know, my 
part of the country anyways, um, just walk outside and sit out there for like two or three minutes. Just let your baby breathe in that cold air. Other than that, um, I'm not like a huge oils person, not because I don't think they work. I just don't know that much about them. I know eucalyptus oil is like great. I don't know if it's recommended for infants. Ask your local oil lady. I'm not sure. Something we do use, Zarbies baby chest rub. Love it. It's like um, remember Vicks rub when you were a kid, like your mom would like rub it on your chest or your feet and put socks on it. It's the natural version of that. So it uses, it does use eucalyptus oil. So I guess I do use eucalyptus oil on my baby, <laughs> but it's like in a really natural ointment. Um, I put it under her nose, especially after I do the aspirator, just cause that skin can get dry and it's like a really moisturizing ointment. I put it under her nose and she loves it. Lily also loves the nose aspirator. I think she hates having a stuffy nose so much that she <laughs> really loves to have her snot sucked. So we've been really lucky with that. If your baby is, um, or maybe they're not a baby, but if your kid is throwing up, like if you have a, a child with a stomach flu, um, you got to let it happen. It's just, <laughs> it's got to run its course. If a stomach virus is introduced into your child's body, your 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 body, your child's body, whoever has it, the instant reaction is get it out. So that's why we have diarrhea and vomiting. And what I would just recommend there is make sure they're getting a lot of fluids, like make them bone broth popsicles, make them coconut water popsicles. I don't really recommend Pedialyte. They usually have like dyes and additives that I don't love, but coconut water, great. Um, and or chamomile popsicles are great too, just like chamomile tea, just to kind of keep their body calm. And, you know, soup, feed them things that have liquid. The other things you could be doing throat coat. Oh, sorry. I guess if your child has a sore throat, Noah loves throat coat tea because it's like super sweet once you swallow it. It doesn't have anything in it like, that makes it sweet. It's like a black licorice and something else. I'm not sure. But when you drink it and you swallow it, it tastes super sweet. So Noah loves it. He drinks it even if he's not um, sick. But throat coat tea could be really good if your child has a cold because I know that gets... Um, you know, it's, it's painful when you're coughing a lot. There is, oh, and I'm going to forget the brand of it. What is it? Let me look it up right now. I'm, I'm on my phone. Target sells it. Honey pops at Target. Sorry, you're hearing me whisper. Do, 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 do. What is it? Honey pops. They are little like throat lozenges, but they're in the form of suckers and they're totally natural. They can like, they have like a bunch of vitamin C, elderberry, but that is something else that you can soothe the throat with. And I'm trying to look it up for you. This is really annoying to me. <laughs> I'm sure it's annoying to you. Uh, honey suckers kids. Oh, here it is. Okay. It is beekeepers, naturals, kids, propolis, immune support, lollipops. And we use the spray too. They also have for your big kids, if they're sick, they have um, propolis cough syrup and we use that at night. It's got melatonin in it. So like wouldn't use it heavily, but we'll use that for Noah if he's got like a cold or something because it just helps him sleep through the night. Something that's really important that I want you guys to pay attention to if you're looking for natural, even natural remedies for your kids. Do not give your infant, any baby under one years old, anything that has honey in it. Um, they were they will be at risk for um, floppy baby syndrome. Honey is just not good <laughs> for babies under one. So make sure you're reading the ingredient labels. If it has honey in it, do not give it to your infant. And if it has uh, honey in it, it will say uh, not for infants under one year old or it'll say start two years old and over. So like 
Just make sure you're reading the ingredients, you're watching, you're um, following the labels. And and the last thing I'll say about that, if your kids are sick, just cuddles. Cuddles, lots of breast milk. Um, we've been doing a lot of breast milk popsicles with Willie. Um, and to recap, humidifier, cold air, steam in the shower, um, suck their snot, good saline sprayed. You can use homeopathics if they're some, some of the homeopathics four months and older, it'll say on the bottle or six months and older. Okay, I spent a lot of time on that. I'm sorry. It's just because I'm just going through it. And you guys, uh, the mom guilt that I experienced this past week is so awful. I'm so sorry if you're going through that, but it's not your fault. Kids get sick. It's just what happens. And things to look out for, I guess, um, to be worried about is if your baby has trouble breathing. So strider, you'll hear that term. Your doctor will ask, do they have a strider? Are they rasping or like, is there a whistle when they're trying to breathe or take off their clothes? Do you notice their lung or can you see their ribs when they're breathing? Like does the skin around their lungs suck in to their ribs when they're trying to breathe? If that is the case, go straight to the hospital. I mean, don't even waste time calling your doctor. Just get your kids somewhere where they can get help um, because that you need to breathe, right? Your baby needs to breathe. You can also look for something called cyanosis in their limbs, their fingernails, their ears. Um, and you'll just notice like a purpley, like those limbs are not getting oxygen. That means your baby's oxygen level is low and they need oxygen. So just get them somewhere. That is, you know, medicine, traditional Western medicine has its time and place and that is the time and place for it. So just get help. Also, like if your baby is vomiting, they can't keep fluids down for more than like 24 hours. Um, also, go get them help because, you know, we don't need their their bodies going through that trauma. Um, that's what medicine is there for. All right, let's jump into the next question. How do you deal with being the primary parent um, or the primary being even when Okay, sorry, let me reread that. How do you deal with being the primary parent, being needed 24-7, even with others around? I struggled with this after my first. It was a big adjustment. Um, And it's an adjustment with every new kid you have because it's an additional load. Um, I saw something not that long ago that kind of gave me a big mind shift. And it was, um, my husband is the primary provider. Okay, now this is specifically to my stay-at-home moms because if you're not a stay-at-home mom, this is this is a totally different situation and I can maybe offer a little bit of advice on that. Um, but for my stay-at-home moms, your husband is the primary provider. That is just as important and just as much weight as you being the primary parent, okay? Your husband is constantly worried about how he's going to feed his family, make the money for his family, protect, provide for. That is just as much weight as being the primary parent and being needed for all of the little things around your house that aren't always so little. A lot of times they're really big. But I think like, especially when we're talking about traditional gender roles, um, you, you got to shift your mindset. Your husband is also really has a big burden. He's the primary provider. That is a huge burden that hopefully if you're a stay-at-home mom, you're not having to worry about. His job is to protect you from having to worry about that. Your job is to protect him from having to worry about that and being the primary parent. So it is a lot. Um, if you are not a a stay-at-home mom and you are also worried about being the primary parent, you just need to talk to your husband because if you're both providers, then you both need to be primary parents. 
And I know that might look like um, your kids still only want you because your mom and that's the way moms and kids are programmed is um, kids want their mom. We're the, we're the nurturers. We're the ones that um, are innately designed to take care of them. <sighs> so you just got to set boundaries. Um, give yourself time to get away. Like when Noah was born, Brady and I both worked full time in the practice. So it wasn't like a situation where I wasn't a provider because I was also a provider. So Brady had to help me at home. I was, <laughs> and Noah needed me for a lot of things. I was the only one that could feed Noah. So Brady was the one getting up and getting me a snack. I was the only one that could really comfort him. So Brady was the one washing the freaking dishes. Okay. Um, where our roles have changed a lot since I've started staying home. So that doesn't really apply to us anymore. But when we were both working in the office, we divided housework and that was how I I dealt with the burden of being the one, only one that could take care of my child and Brady still took him like if I needed to go to the gym if I want to get out of the house right now while I'm recording this podcast Brady has the kids and if they cry and <laughs> they want their mom I'm sorry I'm I'm off the books for the next hour and Brady has to deal with it um so I hope that you have a partner that you can communicate with and somebody who respects your boundaries and your needs enough to where you can say, hey, I actually need help with this and they can help you. But I think it just takes a really strong marriage, a really strong relationship with your husband um, and somebody who respects the crap out of you. Because if somebody respects you, um, they're not gonna let you just sit there and suffer if you're feeling overwhelmed. Because I'm not gonna lie and say that just because my husband is the primary provider and I'm the primary parent that I don't get stressed out and say, Brady, I need some help, (laughs) you know? Like, what was it? Yesterday we were... Oh, we were about to go. We went to Stanley Market. If you're in Denver, that's really fun um, for Christmas. It was Camp Christmas with the kids. And before that, I wanted to have the house clean. And I just looked at him. I said, I don't know what it is. Probably the fact that my daughter hasn't slept in a full week and I'm exhausted. This dish or this sink full of dishes is so overwhelming to me. I can't even start it. Can you help me? And you know what he did? He stopped everything he was doing and he unloaded the dishwasher and put the dishes from the sink into the dishwasher not a big deal. You're it's it's unrealistic to think your relationship is always going to be 50/50. Somebody is always going to be pulling more weight. Um, and I hope that it's not always you, but I also hope that you know and understand the things that your husband is going through as well because it is a lot mentally and physically for your husband to be the primary provider. The same as it is a lot mentally and physically for you to be the primary parent. I hope that was helpful. And if it wasn't, please just reach out to me and give me a specific example. Um, And maybe I can give you a little bit more of my input. How do you plan your AM when you have somewhere to be with littles? Okay. (laughs) It's hard getting out of the house with kids. And every kid you have, it takes, I think it took me like a month to get used to getting out of the house with Lily, maybe even more than (laughs) than that. Um, You just have to work backwards. This is the way my brain works because I am somebody, I need to be on time to places. And if I'm not, it gives me anxiety enough to where I am cranky. I'm not in a good mood. I'm not my best self. So I, I try to avoid that at all costs. And I can't always avoid it. Give yourself some grace because you know what? You might have done everything possible to get out of the door, uh, but you have a blowout you know, as you're putting your baby in the car seat. And that's okay. Um, but if you are like me and you like to be on time to places and you want to know what I do, this is what I do. So we have a couple days a week where Noah has like an enrichment class and that's in the morning. So I work backwards. I'll say I need to be there. I need to be there at 10 a.m. It takes me 
20 minutes to drive there. That's just physical drive time. Okay, so that now we're at 940. Takes me five minutes to park and get in the door. Now I'm at 935. It takes me 10 minutes to get the kids loaded in the car. Now I'm at 925. What do I need to do? So I know I need to be starting to get the kids out the door at 925 to be there at 10, even though it's 20 minutes away. Um, and now I need to think about all of the other things I need to do. If I want to work out, if I need to get ready, I need to get both kids ready. I need to feed them breakfast. I need to take care of the dogs. Um, what, how long do each one of those things take and start backtracking? So if I need to be there at 10, I've already done the math. I need to walk out the door at 925 to be in the door at 10. Um, then I know I like to, um, let's work backwards and say, the last things I'm doing before I leave the door is getting the kids dressed. So it's about five minutes each. That's 10 minutes. So now we're at 9.15. Um, and then backwards from that, I need to get myself ready. 20 to 30 minutes. Let's just say 30 because more time is better. Um, I I'm at 9.15. Now I'm at 8.45. And before that, I need to feed us all breakfast. Let's realistically give myself 45 minutes to do that. Now we're at eight o'clock in the morning. Um, and then if I want to work out, I that's you know, 40 minutes. Now I'm at 740. What am I at? No, eight o'clock in the morning. And I said, it's 40 minutes. So I'm at 720. Um, I know it takes me 20 minutes to get up and out of bed and brush my teeth and get my gym clothes on. Um, and this is if I'm just working out at home, so I don't have to do the math of the, of the drive. But now I know I need to wake up at 7am to get to the place at 10. And that is what I do. That's how my brain works. That's what I do on a daily basis. If we have to be anywhere, um, so hopefully that helps a little bit. And if it's like a thing where you're, you and your husband are both working, um, just make sure you're dividing up routines. My husband and I do that too. If I know I need to be up at seven so that I can work out and my husband is getting up first because right now I'm not getting as much sleep because Lily isn't sleeping well, um, because she's had a stuffy nose, then he knows he's going to the gym from six to seven. And every single night, every single night, before we go to bed, we open up our Google Calendar because my husband has that planned down to the minute um, and we go over the next day so that there are no surprises because all frustrations come from unmet expectations. So <laughs> the night before, we go over our expectations for the next day um, and that will save you so many arguments, so many arguments. So go over your morning schedule, go over what time you each need to wake up, go over what time your husband plans to be home, go over if he's gonna be able to call you at lunch, um, You know, go over if he needs to be at work early or if he can leave late and then divide and conquer your tasks with your children. That is how we operate. I'm already halfway through this episode and I am not even a third of the way through the questions. So I will make sure we do it part two to this because there's really good questions. All right. I have a one month old and I have no idea where to start with sleep routines and schedules, etc. Okay. If you're a first time mom, you are more prone to obsess over this. I did it with Noah. All of my friends and sisters-in-law all did it with their first kids and it makes life miserable. The biggest difference in my happiness as a mom with my second time kid is I don't care about schedules. She sleeps when she's tired and she's gonna be okay. You get like these internet trolls that are like, Sleep is the most important part of, you know, brain development. Like, oh, yeah, it is. I agree. Your baby's going to go to sleep. Like, they're not just going to stay awake when they're tired. They're going to go to sleep. You have to provide a little bit of an environment where they can sleep, sure. But 
not to the point where you're making yourself miserable, where you're making your family miserable, where you're making your baby miserable. Every baby is different. And if you're online looking at taking care of babies and whatever other crap, you know, guru there are, there's on that freaking app, then like you're going to make yourself miserable because your baby's never going to measure up to these facades that other moms put on the internet. Uh, because every baby is bio-individual. Every baby has different sleep needs. Noah was a very high sleep needs child. Lily is less of of a, she has less sleep needs than Noah does. And that's okay. So here's what I would recommend. Look at those schedules. Like, it's nice to go on Taking Care of Babies website, maybe, and just look at and see, okay, at one month old, my baby's wake windows, and I'm going to say that with quotations around it because, again, your baby's not going to fit into this window, and that's okay. Average is about 45 minutes, okay? Um, so my baby's awake for about 45 minutes, and then they're going to take a nap. Great. That's all you need to know. Throw the schedule out the window. Do your life the way you need to do it. If you need to go to the grocery store, if you need to, you know, work from home, if you need to clean your house, if you need to take your dog on a walk, throw your baby in a baby wrap and they will take a nap. And the more you do that, the more they get used to it. Noah, oh God, love him. Poor baby. He had to have, we literally had like cardboard on his windows. We had blackout curtains. We had the sound machine. Um, I had to feed him for an hour, read him two books, do two scratches with these two specific songs, three kisses, two hugs, like whatever else it was. It was so hard and it made sleep stressful for me, which in turn made it stressful for him. And then we threw that all out the window because my mental health could not handle anymore. And I have strong opinions on this. If the routine thing works for you, like I'm so happy for you. I'm not saying that if it works for you, then to change it. Do what works. But if you're stressed out about a schedule, just know the general of how long my baby is awake right now. And then know their cues. Lily and Noah both, when they got tired, their eyebrows get red. (laughs) I don't know why. Their eyebrows get red and they get glassy eyed and they yawn and they're not as active. And then I know it's time for a nap. I throw Lily in her carrier and we nap. I'll probably do that until she's freaking two years old because that's what works for a schedule. The other thing with the second kid is you just don't have the luxury of just sitting around the house and, you know, revolving the entire world around their naps because guess what? Now you have another kid who also has needs and a routine and, you just don't have that capability. So if you are somebody who likes to be fluid, like I am, I want if I want to get up and go and do something, that's what I'm going to do, then there is nothing wrong with just following your baby's sleep cues, knowing and understanding that your baby is going to sleep when they're tired and going out and putting the baby in the wrap or letting them fall asleep in their car seat in the car and then strolling them around the grocery store. It's going to be okay. I think we had more sleep questions, so let me get into those. Okay, someone asked about false starts and held to bassinet transfer help. Okay, false starts. So I would love to know how old this baby is because when a baby hits around four months, and like I said, every baby is bio-individual. They're not little baby dolls that you got from the store. Um, It's going to be different, but they'll hit, we call it the four-month sleep regression. It's really a 
progression because now their brain has sleep cycles just like yours does. The difference between your baby and you is that you are neurologically developed and they are not. So your brain understands how to link those sleep cycles together and your babies doesn't. And a sleep cycle on average is 45 minutes. Now there are 7 billion people in the world. So take that average very loosely. Um, if you're holding your baby and you're nursing them to sleep, which God bless you because nursing your baby to sleep is natural and we've been doing it for thousands of years and don't let internet gurus tell you that you can't. If you don't like to do that, that's totally okay. Don't change what's working for you. But if you're feeding your baby to sleep, it sounds like that's probably the case if you're holding them while they're sleeping um, and they're sleeping for like 20 minutes, that might be a full sleep cycle for them. And now they might be awake. Now that might be real hard to comprehend when when they were two months old, they were taking a two hour nap in the morning. That might just be over. And let me tell you something about infanthood. Um, in childhood in general, once you get used to something and you get into a routine, uh, it's just their brain development is going to go to the next step and it's all going to get messed up. So don't get comfortable. Um, so, oh my gosh, what did I just do? Oh, are you kidding me? There it is. Um, so if you're holding your baby to sleep and they're sleeping in your arms 15 to 20 minutes and you set them down and now they're awake, it's probably because they went through a full sleep cycle. Now it might just be because, hey, mom is warm. Mom is cozy. Mom smells like mom. Mom has milk. Um, I'm pressed against her chest. My tummy's all warm and I'm comfy and I hear your heartbeat and it reminds me of being in the womb. But now mom's setting me in the bassinet and my I get a cold rush of air on my tummy and in my lungs and I don't smell my mom anymore and I don't hear her heartbeat. And of course they're going to wake up. Um, that's really sad and hard to to comprehend, but... That's just kind of what happens. And Lily was taking independent naps until she hit this regression. And I just would say, um, beforehand, what I would do is I would feed her to sleep. I would always put, I have wearable blankets. It's like the zippity. It's a wearable blanket. So it's not like a swaddle. Um, because I think if you train your baby to sleep with a swaddle and they're not used to that startle reflex, once they can roll over and you can no longer use the swaddle, now they've got to learn to... <laughs> to uh, fall asleep through those startle reflexes because they still kind of have them sometimes. So I like the wearable blanket because it keeps them warm. And then I'll, I would put her in the bassinet and just keep weight on her chest, like put my hand on her chest. It's warm. It's still me. And I would just sit there for a minute until I felt like she was asleep. And then I would sneak out. Sometimes she would sleep for another hour or two. Sometimes she would wake up in five minutes. And that's just kind of what it is. If my baby wakes up after I set her down, because like I said, um, she was sleeping really well in her crib for the first nap of the day. I always tried to be consistent with that because it's nice to have time where I could just be with Noah and do school. Um, I lost my train of thought. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, and then she stopped liking that, but I'm still consistent trying. Every day I try to set her down in her crib for a nap. If she wakes up when I set her down, I just say, okay, I don't worry about it. I stick her in her wrap and I go do what I was going to do anyways. And she'll fall asleep in her wrap and finish her nap there. Um, but I don't know if I have any tips outside of that other than um, if you're putting them in the bassinet, you can lay them on their side, especially if they're an infant, pat their butt while they're on their side until they fall back asleep, slowly roll them onto their back and then have your hand on their chest, like just the lightest weight, but your hand on their chest until they fall back asleep. So if you're using a bassinet, I'm assuming they're a newborn. That's what I would say in that situation. You probably hear Noah, he's playing with his dad and he's really loud. Oh, he's saying, you can come and wipe my bum now. 
<sighs> we're still uh, he's four and obviously potty trained but we i i just don't want to teach him to wipe his own butt because i know that i'm just gonna have to deal with you know sore butts from not getting all the poop and you know dirty underwear and i just don't want to do that so okay uh my next question my next question baby refuses to nap unless on me how do i do anything you get a good baby carrier i would recommend arty pop which are 420 dollars. if you don't want to spend 420 dollars, i would recommend the wild bird aerial carrier which is 200 dollars. and if you don't want to spend 200 dollars, the ergo baby 360 which i think you can get an ergo baby for like 100 or less get a good baby wrap i love the connie for infants for like newborns um but the you're carrying all the weight literally on your back with a connie wrap or with the um like tuck and bundle and all of that or solly is the same as tuck and bundle um so the reason i like those three carriers i just recommended is that when they get heavier is because they're structured they have a waistband that like wraps around your natural waist and that's where most of the weight is carried is like on your hips and your waist with your core muscles and it's easier on your back so how do you get anything done if your baby only wants to contact nap you let them contact nap on you now if your baby is over like a year old or if you're like okay i need to have time to myself like i i cannot be wearing this baby anymore and that's totally okay if that's you i i really do get it um i'm wondering if you co-sleep at night because if you co-sleep at night it's going to be difficult to get a baby to nap um not not like you can't do it because you totally can to get them to nap independently you might have to fall asleep with them in bed and roll away um but what I would say is just if that's not your baby, if you can't just roll away and you don't want to sleep train them, you might just have to wear them for naps until they're developmentally ready to be put down for a nap in their crib. Noah, um, I would roll away. I would do the fall asleep in bed with him or let him fall asleep nursing in bed and then roll away, put the monitor on. Um, and if your baby can like roll or they're super mobile, do a floor bed. Or just like a pallet, uh, and I'm from the Midwest, I don't think that's a word that most people use, a pallet, like a blankets, like a blanket on the floor, a little camping pad, something soft on the floor. Um, when Noah started taking independent naps, and I will probably do this again with Lily, is we got him into his own bed at a year. And I hired someone to do this. I've talked a lot about it. Um, but it was, it was a no cry it out, no sleep train, like help your baby learn to sleep by comforting them basically. Like, and if you have more questions about that, like, let me know. But once we did that for him at nap time or bedtime, it just kind of naturally became the thing for nap time. And that's when he started sleeping in his crib and sleeping in, in his crib independently for naps. Um, so if you have more specific questions about that, please reach out to me. I can send you like a voice memo. How do you structure screen time and how do you decide the amount and content viewed? Okay, unpopular opinion. <laughs> now I say it's an unpopular opinion, but I also like, just hear me out. Don't worry so much about it. Please don't worry so much about it. Now we don't do tablets in my house. There are no iPads. There is no YouTube. None of my TVs have YouTube. 
Um, I don't have an iPad for my baby or for Noah. That's like a thing that I have a hard rule on. I don't think that kids need to be staring at your phone. Also, my husband and I don't let our kids see us on our phone. Like my husband's a little different because he's got to work. He might be answering an email or something, but Noah knows his phone is for work. For me, I'm not flipping through Instagram. We don't have games on our phones. Um, I didn't marry a gamer. We don't play video games. We don't, we just aren't a family that is, um, surrounded by needing screens for entertainment we love tv though so i have a tv on all the time all the time my kid and i noah it's background noise that's how i grew up uh i watched a ton of tv growing up because i was a latchkey kid like both of my parents worked until really late so the tv babysat us and i turned out totally okay now we don't play Coco Melon in this house or anything like that. So let me give you some low stimulating TV shows. We love um, Trash Truck on, um, oh gosh, on Netflix. We love Bluey. We love um, Brain Candy TV on Peacock. That is like a YouTube station, but we don't allow YouTube in this house. So Brain Candy TV, it's like an educational YouTube channel, but they have it on Peacock. There's also an app you can download um, onto your TV called Happy Kids, and they have like Blippy on there. If your kid loves Blippy, we do Blippy as well. Just those like, so Coco Melon, Dave and Ava, um, whatever knockoff Coco Melons you see on Netflix. The reason why those are so, you know, they get a bad rap and why we don't really play them in this house is because they have the brightest colors known to man and then they change scenes every three seconds so they are like stimulating your child's brain every three seconds that's not good that's what games are doing to your kid as well like on the ipad it's like creating this dopamine release and it is literally addictive so if this is a concern for you don't have an ipad in your house and if you have one that you use don't let your kids see you on it because then they're going to want to be on it don't be playing games on your phone if you don't want your kid to be obsessed with screens and playing games on an ipad don't play games on your phone don't be scrolling instagram in front of your kids if you don't want your kid to value that and then one day be scrolling instagram or constantly want to be using your phone my kids don't get my phone um and I know and understand that tablets have a use, okay? So like when we travel, we go to the library, they have educational tablets that we will rent from the library um, to bring on a, on a plane trip. And we have a portable DVD player. Like I said, I don't do iPads. So I have a portable DVD player. I bought it for Best Buy. Um, and I have a case of DVDs that we take on trips, like road trips or airplane or, you know, I don't know, wherever your kid might want to watch a show. We do not watch shows on my phone. We do not, again, we do not have an iPad. So I say like, don't worry so much about it, but also like, we aren't like a screen heavy household. So I don't really structure it outside of just not allowing it to happen. Um, but TV, you know, no one wants to watch a show in the morning. I turn it on for him. He wants to come inside from playing. He wants to watch a show. I turn it on for him. He isn't a kid that likes to sit and watch a lot of TV. He likes to play. So he might watch TV for an hour, you know, if he's tired or if he's just like trying to wake up in the morning, like, and I don't really give him a lot of grief for that. But we do have TV on a lot as background noise or music on because I don't like a quiet house. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if that was the best answer, but that is how we do it. But yes, content viewed. No YouTube for us. No big bright colors. Um, I, I'm not like a huge, I know there's a lot of people that like, I don't want, like, I don't know. They don't want their kids to watch Disney movies because of things that have come up. And I totally get that. I don't know if we're the strictest on that. Um, don't. 
I don't know, decide what's best for your family and just enforce it and be an example to your children. If you don't want screen obsessed children, don't be screen obsessed. Okay. My six month, oh, sorry. My 16 month old has been screeching when she doesn't get her way. LOL. I've read this as normal, but just looking for some reassurance. Yeah. (laughs) So your 16 month old, um, she's almost a year and a half, which is such a fun age, but like, how do you react when you don't get something you want? <laughs> you know, um, you know, if you were expecting your husband to be home at five and he's not home until seven, how are you going to react to that? You're probably going to be mad, <laughs> but hopefully you have the neurological development and emotional intelligence to not scream. Um, but your your baby doesn't. So yeah, just let him scream. It's okay. And something that we do in my house and I started when Noah was a baby and now he is a very emotionally regulated four-year-old. Honestly, he is. It's like validate their feelings. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. That must feel really hard that you didn't get the green popsicle and you, you know, you got the pink one because we don't have green ones left or whatever ridiculous thing your kid is is throwing a tantrum about. Like uh, that is probably really hard. I'm really sorry that that's happening. Like how can we help you feel better? Um, And as they get older, like something I tell Noah all the time, because he is four and he still isn't like capable of calming himself down sometimes. And I don't blame him, but I'll tell him like, you are the only one that can make you happy. So let's talk about it. You know, like you're really upset right now. It's okay to feel upset. It's not okay to hit me. It's not okay to scream, you know, while we're in public. It's not okay to do whatever it is that I don't think it's okay to do. Set that boundary for yourself. But like, you're the only one that can make you happy. Let's let's figure out how we can do it. Let's, let's brainstorm, like let's come up with a solution together. But yes, that's totally normal. So we have a couple of questions about this. Let me, let me jump into it. I haven't left my kids alone with anyone except for once for two hours with my mother-in-law. I literally can't. What do other people do about leaving their kids? I have such anxiety over it and I can't explain it. Um, I had a couple other questions about anxiety about leaving kids. Uh, Jesse and I both have a lot of anxiety when it comes to leaving our children in the hands of others. And it's more of a reflection on, well, I don't even want to say that because I, I don't know if that's actually true. I think it's okay. I think that it is okay. People are going to try and make you feel guilty and say like, oh, your life's going to be so miserable because you can't go on a date. And I think that's a bunch of freaking crap. I think that in mentally healthy people and mentally healthy children with healthy people and healthy children, it's natural to have anxiety when you're separated from your children. That's the way we were designed. That way our children are safe because they are the safest in your hands. You know them. You know what's good for them, what's bad for them. You have God-given intuition over your children. You know, grandma and Aunt Susie don't have that intuition over your child. It's okay that you have anxiety. It's okay that your children have anxiety. And if you don't want, like... Who was I talking to? Okay. So we were like going on a vacation or something. No, no, no. Yeah. It was like a weekend away or whatever. And I had such bad anxiety about it. And I was being guilt tripped by a few people that I know. Like your marriage is going to suffer. You have to get away from your kids. You need to get out. And I didn't want to. Dang it. And (laughs) that's okay. If you honestly don't have the want, like you want to stay with your kids, your marriage is not, does not, it does not mean your marriage is going to suffer. You can nurture your marriage in the night hours. You can nurture your marriage in the morning hours. You can nurture your marriage with your children in the room. 
If you have anxiety about leaving your children and you don't want to leave them, nor you don't have to leave them, then don't leave them. If you want to, if it's like a situation where you're like, I really want to leave my kids and I'm having a really hard time doing it. Um, this is what I did because there were a few times where I would have to leave him with my mother-in-law and my mother-in-law is the only person that ever took him for a really long time. Um, it was like, I need pictures. I just tell her like, I have a lot of anxiety about this and she could see it because I would be crying. <laughs> I have a lot of anxiety about this and it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with me because I have awful experiences from babysitters growing up. Like you guys would not, I will, I'm not even going to tell you because you would never leave your kids with anybody ever again. I have horrible, horrible experiences with babysitters. I was sexually abused as a child. Like obviously I'm going to have a lot of anxiety around leaving my kid. And I would tell my mother-in-law, she knows my history. Like this has nothing to do with you. I know that my child is safe with you. Um, but these are the things I need to happen in order for me to be able to leave him. And I really want to go do whatever it was I was doing with my husband. So please help me. And then I would tell her, I need to bring all of Noah's food. Please don't feed him anything outside of these things. I need pictures, so many pictures. Can you please send me a picture every time I ask you for one? Can you please send me a picture like every hour, every 10 minutes? I don't care what it is. It's not hard to send a picture, like proof of life, right? Um, please don't let them go outside. Like that was a thing for me. Like I don't know if you're going to look away and he's going to like break his leg or whatever you know, intrusive thought that would come into my brain. Just set the silly rules and apologize for him in advance and just say, this is to help me. Can you help? Can you do this? There was a time when I was, I was pregnant with Lily and I had only ever let my mother-in-law, my mother-in-law watch Noah, but my, my in-laws for Christmas gifted us a giant family vacation. No kids allowed. It was all of, it was my, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, and all of their children and spouses. It was really fun. Um, but I didn't know who to leave Noah with because I had never left him in the care of anybody else besides Susan, who knew all of my nuances and all of my <laughs> my rules that wasn't like to hurt her feelings. Um, and Noah was, this was just this past April, so he was three and a half. Um, and I, I feel like once they are, are able to talk, it gets a lot easier because they can communicate right? They can tell you what happened. And that just for whatever reason made me feel a lot better. So things were easier, but I needed, I flew my parents out and I had never left him with my parents before. I had never left him. I had left him like overnight. Three nights was my longest. And he was with my husband. We've left overnight, like two nights with my mother-in-law while me and my husband got away. I left him for a week. You guys, I sobbed, I sobbed and sobbed. I prayed so hard for like peace and I couldn't get it. Um, my parents came out. I had, I wrote out like I laminated construction paper with like everything that came to my mind. Like I labeled all the cabinets so they knew where everything was. I labeled out my dog's routines. I labeled out Noah's routines. I labeled out like all of his um, favorite snacks, the things that were safe for him to eat, um, the shows he was allowed to watch, the things I didn't want him watching, like because I didn't want them to turn on Coco Melon. <laughs> I, you know, put out all of his favorite places if they wanted to take him somewhere. Like I went out and bought a laminator and did all of this. And I went and I had a lot of anxiety about it. And I FaceTimed him probably five or six times a day those first two days. And then I calmed the heck down after I realized that he really was okay. So just do what you need to do and don't apologize. I mean, don't feel bad for it. If you need to make the silly rules, just make the silly rules and communicate your needs. Um, let's see. Also therapy. 
Okay, I should mention that. Uh, betterhelp.com, an, uh, an in-person therapist, like get some help with your anxiety if it's impacting your life because there might be like a root to it. I know my roots. I've done a lot of therapy. I know that I'm scared to leave my child because I'm scared he's going to be sexually abused or he's going to be hurt the way I was hurt by babysitters in the past. Um, and that is a very logical thing for my brain to do is to give me anxiety over that. So if you can understand it, it's a lot easier to navigate it. We are at 51 minutes and I've got some big, let's just see if I can knock them out. I'd love to hear more about how you're feeding Lily solids like the beef broth with the egg yolks. Okay. So if you follow me on my personal stories or on my personal page, then you know with Noah, we jumped right into baby led feeding at five months old and um, he loved it. He was so ready for it. He was a gigantic baby. He was sitting up, he was teething and he loved food. Um, He also struggled a lot with eczema. And I always tried to fix that by changing our diets, but like it never really worked. So I stumbled upon um, the GAPS protocol. Now I get all of this information from, she's the wild nutritionist. She doesn't have the, I think she's just at wild nutritionist. Go find her on Instagram. She's a wealth of knowledge. Um, But basically she is a chef, a nutritionist and a, a GAPS practitioner um she planned a natural birth at home didn't happen that way the way birth sometimes goes she ended up in cesarean and she really went into studying how cesarean um, affects babies' guts because when babies are born vaginally that is that's where they get their gut uh biome from okay all of the bacteria the good bacteria in your gut that help you digest your food um it comes from the vaginal canal it goes into their mouth it's created that way that's so beautiful that god did that um and the vaginal uh microbiome is like so clean and so whole and it's great so it's great for their bellies but if your baby's born vaginally you don't get that unless you do a microbiome swab and then there are still arguments that it, it it's not the same Um, And then plus throw in when you have the cesarean birth, all of the pain meds that you need to take and the like the fentanyl in your body and your baby's getting some of that in their breast milk. Your breast milk's still healthy. Please give it to them. Um, But they are getting some of that in in their breast milk um, and it can cause gut issues. So what I'm doing with Lily is I'm intentionally using her first foods to heal her gut. Now, um, if you've ever heard of like leaky gut, what that means is the the cells that are lining your gut, they're called epithelial cells. They're supposed to have like tight junctions and I'm doing this on my camera. So if you're watching YouTube, you can see it, but I'm like interlocking my fingers. They're supposed to be tight so that food and nutrients can run down your intestines and your body can pull out what it needs to and put it in the blood. Now, if they have leaky gut, which a lot of cesarean babies do, um, it looks more like this. Now, if you're not watching the video, you've interlocked your fingers to where there's no space, kind of pull your fingers apart. Now there's these gaps. Um, and what happens is things that your body doesn't want to put into your blood, their blood get into their blood. And now they have, their body has to clean that up. So it's like an autoimmune reaction. Not, I mean, it's an immune reaction towards the thing that leaked through their gut that your body now has to clean up, which is why we see like eczema and throwing up and all of these things and, and cesarean babies. The other thing that happens after a C-section is like anytime you have surgery, your body overproduces yeasts to like coat your organs and protect your body because um, it was just exposed to open air. And that is also expelled in the breast milk, which can make your baby vomit. So what I'm doing with the foods I'm feeding her, I'm feeding her homemade meat stock, egg yolks, um, gelatin, like grass-fed gelatin, um, 
what else am I feeding her? Collagen, things like that. Those help seal the gaps in their gut and allows the um, the cells to form tighter junctions so that when I start introducing things like fruit and, and stuff like that, um, she's not having those histamine uh, immune reactions. So that's why I'm doing that. If you want more information on it, I would recommend going to the wild nutritionist. Um, I have two chiropractic questions. So let me read them both and then I'll chat about it. I'd love to know more about how chiropractic works postpartum and for newborns. And then the second question is, how often should my kiddos get adjusted? My my two-year-old hates the chiropractor. Um, Are there any tips to make it less stressful? So I mentioned this in my last episode about chiropractic and its roots and function is not for back pain. It's to help your nervous system heal properly. So um, jump back on that. Actually, it was Jetta's episode. We talked about that. So my re-entering the work uh, work after maternity leave, like there's so much good information that does not you do not need to be a working mom to listen to that episode. You should go listen to it. Um, but I talk a lot about what chiropractic actually does and why it is for the nervous system. So, but it is also for structural things. So for a postpartum mom, ooh, this is so important. After you have your baby, you still have relaxin in your body for up to five months. Traces can still be found. Relaxin loosens your joints because you had to open up for birth. So while your body is like kind of coming back together and going back to a new normal, um, are you going to be going back in a way, you know, while that relaxes leaving your body, are you going to be stitching yourself back together? I say that in quotes, but are you going to be going back together in a way that is structurally sound or are you going back in a way that's going to be kind of detrimental to your future health and your joints? So having a chiropractor take x-rays, a Gonstead specific chiropractor, um, and I say Gonstead you just go to my husband's page if you want to know why he's um, at Concise Chiropractic. Um, and he talks a lot about Gonset on there, but they're very specific chiropractors. They will they adjust you with x-rays and multiple forms of analysis. And they're very specific adjustments. Like my husband, when he goes to adjust somebody, he knows exactly which bone he's trying to adjust, how much force, depth, rotation, the adjustment needs to make a bone move a very specific way. He's not just racking and cracking your entire spine. Um, he has actual intention behind what he's doing. So if you can find a Gonset chiropractor, please do it. And um, basically, yeah, not only are you, do you have all this relaxing in your body, you're doing things with your body that you've never done before. You're breastfeeding a baby. You're, if you're me, you're carrying two kids up to <laughs> two, three flights of stairs to get them to their room. You're, you know, you're doing a lot of things that your body's not used to. And you're probably not doing them in a way that's like posturally sound, like you're bent over a lot. You're, if you're co-sleeping, you're sleeping in that cuddle curl which can be painful um, and just a lot is going on in your body and then you're going to feel pain usually last your so the nerves that are leaving your spine your spinal cord they're exiting through every level of your spine in your entire spine right and they're going out to every organ muscle tissue in your body and your brain is telling those organs and muscles and tissues what to do through those nerves right now 10 percent of each nerve leaving your spine is nociceptive meaning has anything to do with pain. So when you feel pain, that is usually like the last thing <laughs> that you're feeling. Um, you, the rest of you, the nerve outside of that 10% is functional. So you're going to have some functional issues too. That's where like headaches and stomach aches and, you know, I don't know, gut issues, brain fog, that is where those things come in. So if you're already feeling pain, that means there's usually, there's probably a functional issue going on. Just go get it checked out. Um, have your spine adjusted. I think postpartum you should have it 
checked frequently. It's going to be dependent on each person. I'm checked and adjusted probably two or three times a week right now. I have a scoliosis. Wearing my baby is hard on my back. Breastfeeding my baby is hard on my back. So I'm adjusted a lot, but like just it's great. And then babies, <laughs> talking about babies being born, um, we don't birth babies the way babies were birthed 2,000 years ago, okay? 2,000 years ago, women were out working and literally a baby came out of them and they went back to working a lot of times. Um, it wasn't like a thing like we make it now where we lay on our back and we push and we push and um, we don't really birth, I think we've lost touch with the way birth is, was you know, created. And that's okay. That's not our fault. It is what it is. So babies get a lot of, um, they get a lot of abuse (laughs) when they're being born, right? Either their, their head's not like perfectly down and they're like, you know, sunny side up or their neck is kinked and then the contractions are happening and just squeezing their neck in this weird position for hours and hours and hours, or they needed help getting out. So the midwife or the the nurse or, or the OB is like pulling on their head or they're a cesarean and their head had to be pulled on. Like there's just a lot of reasons why babies need to be adjusted when they're born. So it's not a, if your birth was rough thing, it's a every baby (laughs) after they've been born should be checked and adjusted because they do they get misalignments and I would say most babies it's more frequent in their neck but also their hips and pelvis and you'll notice like if your baby isn't feeding on your right side right they don't want to turn their head that's probably because they have torticollis it's painful for them to turn their head that way so they're going to cry your baby that can be fixed through like gentle chiropractic adjustments and when I say I'm adjusting a baby we're not twisting their neck it's like it's the same amount of pressure like to check the ripeness of an avocado or tomato as it is to adjust a baby so it's very gentle um other things that will happen if your baby has a huge misalignment they could be colicky because one it's painful two they could be having like neurological issues from the nerve that's supposed to be innervating their stomach and digestion like that could be all thrown off um they can't turn their head to one side sleeping is uncomfortable tummy time might be uncomfortable um Ear infections, because the first bone in the spine, the atlas, uh, your baby's eustachian tube, the tube that goes from their ear and drains into their throat, lays on top of that atlas. Um, So if your baby's is uh, misaligned in the atlas, that can't drain and bacteria can grow in the fluid that builds up there. The other thing that could happen is like your baby could have a weird cross crawl pattern when they start crawling if their pelvis has been misaligned their whole life. That's a big deal. Don't ignore that. For whatever reason, the American Pediatric Association like took crawling out of the developmental milestones. And I think because it was offending so many parents whose babies need help, your kid needs to crawl. They need to have a cross-crawl pattern that is brain development. Um, So get them to a chiropractor. Get them to a physical therapist. Like get them help so that they can develop. (sighs) Did I rant? I think I ranted. (laughs) But yes. Very beneficial, very beneficial for children. Now, it's going to be dependent on your child how often they should be checked and adjusted. My husband sells like for kids a 10-pack and it's kind of like come in when they need it. Um, If he notices a problem like your baby fell, babies fall. You know, they're like learning to walk. They fall on their butt a ton having them checked they don't always need adjusted but my husband's like okay you know let me check them now after they've had a fall oh I need to check them again next week doesn't mean he's going to be adjusted but that your chiropractor will usually guide you on how often um Noah I don't know he's a checked he's checked if he falls he's checked maybe once a month just in case um but he doesn't have any issues if he was sick we'd get him checked and adjusted if he had an ear infection we'd get him checked and adjusted he's never had an ear infection but if he were to um 
things like that. So how is their body functioning? How are this, their body moving? If it's not functioning the way it should be, they got diarrhea, they're wetting the bed, they're complaining of headaches, uh, they have a tick, like a neurological tick where they're like, you know, twitching or something like that or like their face is moving in a weird way um get them checked and adjusted and then once the problem occurs your chiropractor will guide you on how often you need to be seen to um you know fix the problem but i would say once a month once every other month just have them checked preventatively if you have the means to do that now all kids hate the chiropractor (laughs) i'm sorry not all kids some kids really like the chiropractor. Some chiropractors are so good with kids. Like they could go and it's totally fine and they love their chiropractor. It's fine. Some, like my husband, who's a man, you know, he's probably not like, he's good with kids, but he's not a woman. He's not like a nurturing, like, come here, let me give you a hug. It's going to be okay type of person. So he is a phenomenal chiropractor and women bring their kids to my husband. But, you know, this is something he struggles with too because he's like, they cry. I don't know what to do. I try to be my nicest. I try to do all this and it still doesn't work. Um, I would say just be real honest with your kid. <laughs> like if they fall down and their sacrum is sore and it's about to get adjusted, it doesn't matter how um, soft the adjustment is, it might be tender. Just tell him that. It's like, you know, you take your kid to the dentist and you know he's going to get a shot in his mouth. Don't say it's not going to hurt. Tell him it's going to hurt so he knows what to expect, but it's only going to hurt for a second. Um, also, like, does your chiropractor have toys or like prizes? Because if they don't, bring a toy, bring prizes, like special toys that they only get at the chiropractor's office something they can get excited about or like afterwards have like those little if your chiropractor doesn't have like little suckers for them you can get like honey sticks or little natural suckers that they only get after the chiropractor but like also just be honest with them like yeah he's gonna have to touch your spine um you're safe i'm right here with you it might not feel good because as they get older they it does is a little more pressure than it is when they're infants so it might be tender if they've got a tender spot and just let them know like it might be tender i tell noah that all the time this might hurt because like you fell down two days ago and cracked your head on the concrete and now you have a serious misalignment in your neck, but it's only going to hurt for just a second and then we're going to be okay. And once I started doing that, his reaction to an adjustment got much better. Um, babies, you're going to put them in a stranger's arm and they're touching them. They're going to wail. It's okay. It really is okay. Your chiropractor knows and understands. Don't have so much anxiety about it because they see it all day, every day, all the time. It doesn't mean your child isn't safe if you trust your chiropractor your child is safe if they're a good chiropractor. It doesn't mean that you're a bad parent. Your chiropractor's not sitting there judging you because their your kid is crying. You're still doing what's best for your kid. It's okay. I promise. If your kid is crying, just do your best to assure them that they're safe. Um, if you need to bribe them with special toys that are only at the chiropractor's office, do that. But don't feel so bad. Okay, this next question I didn't know if I was going to answer, but I'm going to do my best um, without getting canceled or in trouble. Thoughts on vaccines. I'm about to come up on my daughter's first round. I am not going to share my child's medical information on a podcast that thousands and thousands of people listen to every month. I'm not going to do it. What I will say is we need to stop. We need to stop blanket statement health decisions. Your doctor should not be blanket statement anything with your child. Just because a vaccine is right for Mindy does not mean it's right for Susie and that's okay don't be judgmental on parents if you are a parent that doesn't vaccinate your child stop judging parents that do if you're a parent that vaccinates their children stop judging parents that don't 
we are all given God-given intuition over our children. And there are some kids, a lot of kids, you know, I, th- I would say the majority of kids in this country are vaccinated and they do just fine. There are some kids that get vaccines and have severe reactions. There are billions of dollars paid out every year by our government to vaccine injured children. So there is not one right answer here. I'm sorry if that offends you. There is not one right answer for any health topic. So I can't give you an answer here. You need to do the research. And when I say research, if I'm going to research a vaccine, I'm going to read the vaccine insert. The insert that the company provides, the vaccine company. I'm not reading some woo-woo site online. I'm not getting my advice from Instagram moms. I'm reading actual research, okay? And if you would like some help getting your hands on those inserts, call your pediatrician or you can reach out to me and I can get them for you. Read through it. If you don't understand it, ask for help and then make an educated decision on whether or not this is the best choice for your child. It won't look the same as your friends. You need to weigh the benefits and risks, okay? And for some children, the benefits will outweigh the risks. And for some children, the risks will outweigh the benefits. It's so bio-individual. So I cannot give you a yes or no answer. And like I said, I will never share my children's medical information on the internet, ever, 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 ever. Um, Or with people that I don't really know and trust um, because that is private. But I will say, have an open mind either way because I have so many friends. I feel like Jesse and I both, we ride a really fine line of um, holistic health and traditional Western medicine, which I think is a really good place to be. We're not right or left. <laughs> we're right in the middle. And I think that's great. I would say maybe we're a little bit more holistic than we are medicine. But like we understand and know that medicine is not all evil and that it's, you know, not out to kill you and your children. Like it's not a scary, scary world. Um, but we have friends that are on the total side of unvaccination. We have friends that are on the total side of totally vaccinating. And not meaning that they either vaccinate or they don't vaccinate. It's their opinions on other people who do this. So please, this is a hot topic. Do not judge other parents who are doing the best for their children. I beg you. I beg you. Your mom friend who makes a different decision than you do on vaccines is still a loving caring mother who is doing the best for her children and she deserves love and respect and if you can't give her that to her then don't talk to her about it okay okay that's all i'm gonna say about that (laughs) if you want more specific information maybe you can reach out to me but i would say just read the the vaccine inserts and make a educated decision you briefly touched on it vegan during pregnancy and postpartum this is again bio individual some people i'm sure can thrive on a plant-based diet i did not i was vegan for five years the reason i was uh, not five years i feel like every time i say this story it gets a little bit longer um i was vegan for three years uh going on four and the reason i was was because of animal cruelty i have a huge heart i'm a very empathetic person i feel the pain of others and feeling the pain of animals was not something i wanted to do There are also research articles about um, veganism and having a low self-esteem. I think I totally fell into that. And my therapist talked to me about this um, after I had given up the the vegan diet. But it was um, a lot of women who have very low self-esteem. This is like a way that they gain virtue. So it's very common 
for people with low self-esteem to do stuff like this, to be vegan. And for me, that was the case. I was exhausted. I was tired. I was unhealthy. Um, There are a lot of animal products that your body actually really needs, not just protein. Um, A lot of vitamins that are very bioavailable in a, uh, this is not talked about. Protein bioavailability and nutrient bioavailability is not the same across the board. Animal products are very bioavailable in our body, meaning we could eat them. We take the beef liver capsule, whatever it is, and it is easily absorbed and used by our body. A lot of plant-based minerals, nutrients, um, or like synthetically produced are not. So you're taking a synthetically produced vitamin and your body can't use it. So you're still nutrient deficient. Um, And the reason why I decided to start eating meat again was because I was angry. I was unhealthy. I was exhausted. I had massive acne. um, And I went to a functional doctor and she did a blood panel and she said yeah you are extremely mineral and nutrient deficient this is what we need to do your diet and I just listened to her because the health of my child was so important to me and my mental health and physical health was so important to me that I changed it and I got a lot better so I don't really know what else to touch on outside of that um I don't and there's also like a big difference in placentas vegan placentas and meat eater placentas or omnivore placentas um vegan placentas tend to be very small and malnourished weird colors where a um meat an I keep saying meat eater but like an omnivore someone who eats a well-rounded diet of plants and animals placenta is like big luscious really rich in color and really rich in blood vessels so you know take that for what it is which magnesium should I take? This is so different from everybody. So this is like the most annoying answer. I'm so sorry, but you've got to experiment with this. I would say magnesium glycinate, magnesium citrate. Those are two really good ones to start with. Um, and just take them and see how you feel. And what is magnesium does so much in our body? Like what's the main thing you're looking for? Or is it the is it digestive benefits you're looking for? Is it mood benefits? And just keep an eye on it. Magnesium glycinate is the magnesium for me. Magnesium citrate doesn't really do much for me. Magnesium glycinate, I will take 500 milligrams of that um, and I am immediately less stressed out and my bowels are moving easier. So I'm sorry, most annoying answer ever. You've just got to play with it. And the last question, and I'm so over, this is a long episode. I'm so sorry, you guys. How do we prepare? How do you prepare for two babies? We want to grow our family, but we're nervous about how much harder it is. It's hard. Okay, it's hard for a while. The same way it was hard when you were getting used to going from no babies to one baby, that was hard. It's the same every time you have a kid because you have to get used to a different kind of parenthood and that's okay. I don't know if there's a way to prepare yourself for that um, other than making sure you're mentally healthy and physically healthy and all the things Jesse and I preach, go to therapy, take care of your childhood trauma, find a way that's good to move your body and be nourished, be truly nourished um, so that you can show up every day as your best self. But also, um, Like, are you ready to have another kid? I didn't feel ready until Noah was three. Um, I knew that I wasn't ready to share my time with him. I knew that I wasn't ready to go through postpartum again. But once he hit uh, three, I was like, okay, I can do postpartum again. I can have a baby again. I didn't get my baby until he was four through, you know, because of miscarriage. But um, it was difficult. Some things we did to prepare we got a bigger house, <laughs> which not everybody can do. We were renting and it was time for us to get a home where we could have some more space. Um, 
but we did like we did prepare Noah a lot. And one of the things we really did, which I think we did very well, and it worked out well for us, was um, we were we had very honest conversations with Noah while I was pregnant about what was going to happen. Mommy's going to be going to the hospital. I might be there for a few days. You're going to be staying with Grandma. You might feel sad. Um, mommy's going to be with Baby in the hospital. You might feel left out. I'm like, but this is how we're going to deal with that. It's going to be okay. Like we're going to come home and everything's going to be okay. I would tell him like, mommy's a big sister. And when my little sister got home, it was really hard because I had to share my mommy and that was okay. I felt sad, but my mommy loved me through it. And I'm going to love you through it. Um, we also um, did not ever say we couldn't do something because of Lily. I never said, I can't help you right now. I'm breastfeeding Lily. I can't help you right now. I'm putting Lily down for a nap. I can't help you now, whatever it is, fill in the blank because of the baby. It was, oh honey, I would love to help you build those blocks. My hands are busy right now. Give me three minutes and I'll be able to help you. So I gave him the validation. I would love to help you with that. Oh, but I gave him the reality. My hands are busy right now. But then I gave him a time. I'm going to help you with that in three minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, one hour, tomorrow, whatever it is. Just give him something and then stick to it. If you said you were going to do it in five minutes, do it in around five minutes. Now, they don't have like a total concept of time. <laughs> you can be a little lenient, but like actually show up and do it. Um, and Noah and Lily have zero. I mean, Lily's six months old, but he, he has zero rivalry with her. He has never hurt her. He has never been angry with her. He was angry with me for a while. And this is so natural. This is so normal. Um, go and listen to my birth, Lily's birth story, because um, I talk a lot about this. It is so hard watching uh, <laughs> those first few weeks of your baby not being your only baby anymore. And then you feel guilty because you feel guilty about it because you feel guilty that your your new baby doesn't get all of your time either. And you feel guilty that you feel guilty that, that it's just, it's a lot of mom guilt. It's a mind game, but you do get used to it. Um, and it does go away right now. I don't have any of that. I feel like I'm totally thriving with my two kids. It took some time to get used to, but you'll get used to it. If you are mentally healthy, you are physically healthy, you and your husband are ready for another kid, just go for it. Um, and just the same way you adjusted to having one baby, you will adjust to having two and it will be okay. I promise. All right, you guys, this is well over an hour. Um, I broke our rule. And I've got to get back to momming. So love you moms so freaking much. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a part of our community. Please follow us on Instagram. Subscribe to our podcast. Um, give us feedback. Reach out to us. Message us. We love the messages of what you were vibing with on this week's episode. I freaking love it. So please do that. I hope you guys kill this week. I hope it's awesome. I hope um, you feel like a loved daughter of God because you are. And you're a great mom. And I just want you guys to just crush it. I will talk to you next week. Hopefully all the illnesses are done and Jessie can be back. <laughs> She's doing great though. She really is. But we will, hopefully we will see you next week. Thank you for listening. And remember that you were chosen to be the mother of your children. And you are exactly where you need to be. See, See you, you next week. week.